This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Which Republicans has Donald Trump betrayed and humiliated this week? For some answers, we turn to Jeet here. Of course, he's national affairs correspondent for The Nation. Jeet, welcome back. Good to be here. So who did Trump betray and humiliate this week? Well, it's probably a long list, but uh, one can certainly start with uh, Rick Perry, who's the uh, energy secretary, who Trump basically implicated as the, the source of the uh, Ukrainian uh, scandal. And then uh, there's also Mitt Romney, who Trump had interviewed to be a secretary of state. And uh, Trump used uh, a vulgarity that I won't repeat here on Twitter to uh, denounce uh, Romney and basically um, uh, insulted him at great length. He matters because he is a senator, of course. Did he say he would vote to convict Trump in the Senate trial and remove him from office? No, he did not. Uh, I think uh, Romney has gone much farther than uh, any other elected Republican official. What Mitt Romney has given us is the verbal equivalent of furring your brows. Meanwhile, getting back to the story of how Trump wanted to trade military aid to another country, for dirt on a political opponent. We're recording this on Tuesday at midday, and there's a new poll from the Washington Post which found that most Americans now support an impeachment inquiry. 58% of Americans uh, support an impeachment inquiry, and 49% support removing Trump from office. Only 38% oppose an inquiry, This was all adults, but the figures for registered voters is about the same. What should we make of this number? It's quite a bit bigger than it was two weeks ago. It shows how much leadership matters. I think that Trump has been from day one an unpopular president, and there's been a lot of worry in the population about his actions, his instability, and uh, really his, his open criminality. I mean, I think you just have to read his tweets to realize he's obstructing justice. But people didn't want to jump on the impeachment bandwagon, you know, until they got uh, messages from Democratic leaders. And I think we could have been at this place much earlier. I think the other thing to maybe emphasize, though, is that public opinion matters to a degree that it will embolden the Democrats. But the ultimate uh, issue of removal is going to be in the Senate. And that's a very steep hill because uh, you need, uh, you know, 67 senators and 20 of those have to be Republicans. And we're not seeing any Republicans really coming out in favor of removal. Of course, if we go to the Watergate parallel, the only case, anything like this one, uh, it took a very long time for the Republicans in the Senate to come around, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. And basically, you need to have to have really uh, a smoking gun of evidence that came out in uh, you know, the Watergate tapes and other documents for the Republicans to come on board. And I think that there's a further Watergate aspect, which is that in Watergate, the Republicans had an incentive to cut their loss. Nixon uh, couldn't run again. You know, he had been elected twice. They were going to get a new candidate anyways. So why don't you just clear the plate and get this Watergate over with? But now Trump is the Republican standard bearer. He's almost certainly going to be the you know, nominee again in 2020. And so the whole incentive structure is very different. And there's perhaps a third lesson from Watergate, which is that even in Watergate, the Republicans that held up longest in supporting Nixon and were most vehement in coming to his defense, notably Ronald Reagan, they were the ones that 
built up a future in the party because they proved to partisan Republicans that they were really party men and would stick with uh, the leader to the end. And uh, if you look at the people who were pro-Nixon in 74, it's like Reagan, Bush Sr., and Bob Dole, all of whom went on to become Republican presidential nominees. And the, the people that you know came out early against Nixon did not fare so well. Yes, that's a uh, that's very important parallel to keep in mind. On the other hand, uh, how many Republicans in the Senate today do you think agree with Trump's principal defense that his call to the president of Ukraine was, quote, perfect? <laughs> I, I, I think that, uh, I mean, it depends. How many agree in private or in public? You know, former Republican Senator Jeff Flake said, you know, if you had a secret vote, uh, he thinks you would get a you know, majority of the Republicans voting for removal. Well, you know, we don't have a secret vote. And so in public, you know, like only Romney is really coming out uh, criticizing him. I think uh, Collins is maybe also expressing like very mild concern. I, I think that the party is choosing a path not of like strongly defending Trump, but maybe of trying to keep quiet. Silence is the best policy. These silent Republicans. And meanwhile, Trump is, of course, far from silent. His view seems to be, you can't impeach me, I impeach you. He's called for the impeachment of Pelosi and Adam Schiff on charges of treason. I saw that Eugene Robinson, Washington Post columnist, said that Trump's defense on impeachment charges is, quote, incoherent to the point of lunacy, close quote. I wonder if you think that's going too far. Oh, no, I mean, like, the stuff that Trump is saying is, like, you know, I mean, aside from being, like, you know, sort of absurd conspiracy theories, there's just a why you can't impeach, you know, members of Congress or the Senate. That's not how it's done. And I actually honestly think that his these attacks themselves, if we had a strong Congress and a strong Senate, they would be also grounds for impeachment. You cannot have a president calling for um, members of Congress we tried for treason, uh, the punishment of which is execution. That seems like a flagrant uh, violation of like any sort of democratic norms. Well, let's assume that the, the large majority of Republicans will stay loyal to Trump through the 2020 election and that he will be at the head of the ticket in 2020. That seems very likely. Let's not forget how Trump won in 2016 it was because he carried Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, the states that we all thought were behind the blue wall. But last year, all three of those states elected Democratic senators and Democratic governors. And often by quite big margins in Wisconsin, Senator Tammy Baldwin picked up 14% of Trump's 2016 voters. In Pennsylvania, Senator Bob Casey won 12% of them. In Michigan, Senator Debbie Stabenow got 9% of them. Do you think that something like this is more likely or less likely to happen in 2020, assuming Trump stays at the head of the ticket? I think that Trump is like significantly tarnished and a uh, portion of those Trump supporters, especially the sort of you know Obama-Trump voters, are going to return back to the fold. I mean, a lot depends on who the uh, Democrats run again. I mean, my main worry is that it, it will be someone uh, like Joe Biden, who Trump can tarnish as being a part of the old order, and also who's basically selling nostalgia, which I don't think that voters really want. I, I, 
So I think that the prospects for Democrats are actually quite good in the presidential race. You know, like they don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Republicans right now may be silent supporters of Trump on impeachment, but they haven't been so silent about the latest foreign policy issues. Tell us, remind us about that. Sure. Uh, Out of the blue, Trump uh, basically greenlit um, uh, Turkey invading uh, Syria and uh, said, you know, America is withdrawing troops and uh, will no longer be um, protectors of the uh, Kurds in Syria, who are, you know, longtime American allies. And uh, this has been, you know, very upsetting, not only to Trump's critics, uh, uh, but also a lot of Republicans who, like, uh, you know, did not sign on for this policy at all. Um, and it's kind of interesting to watch them, how they're trying to maneuver this. Uh, and I think Lindsey Graham is a good sort of bellwether because he's, you know, criticizing Trump, but then also trying to frame it always well, saying, like, Trump is acting like Obama. You know, so there's an attempt to, like, go against Trump but still stay within the Republican fold. And so I actually think that the, even the, where they're critical of Trump, they're, you know, trying to give signals to the base that they're going to stick with Trump. Jeet here. Read him at thenation.com. Thank you, Jeet. Always great to have you on the show. It's always great to be on the show. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.